0: Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds podcast. This podcast is powered by My Hockey Resource and Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and/or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today, I'm joined by Roy Stasiak, assistant general manager and head scout with the Tri-City Americans. Roy is an experienced scout and manager who has spent time at the junior and NHL level, seeing time with the Toronto Maple Leafs organization, and helping to build multiple successful junior programs. As a result, his journey generated a lot of great discussion and should pique the interest of any prospective scout listening today. With that, here is Roy Stasiak, Assistant General Manager and Head Scout for Toronto City of America. Lately, you've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. This week is jam-packed with action, ranging from basketball to golf, and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front-row seat to all of the action. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is simple to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Each player has a salary associated with drafting them. Assemble a lineup of players while staying under the salary cap and then sit back and watch your points pile up. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports. And DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there is no better place to get in on all the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Roy Stasiak, Assistant General Manager with the Tri-City Americans. Roy, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Really looking forward to it. Definitely. I'm looking forward to it as well. And, you know, you have quite a few stops here in different management roles, even spending some time at the NHL level. So uh, a lot to unpack in your career, but I'm excited to get in here and start talking about you know your experiences and uh, your path traveled through here throughout the game.
1: Perfect. Looking forward to sharing some of my insight and some of my experiences. And uh, it might be of particular interest to those uh, that aren't elite hockey players right now, but are looking forward to a hockey career as they, as they move forward.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a, a large majority of people just looking to find their way in the game. And, and that's what we'll definitely learn here um, as we go through the conversation. So let's start off by talking about yourself, maybe give some people a little bit of insight on you including your upbringing, playing sports in your early years, and and just a general overview of of you as a person?
1: Well, I was the only boy of uh, five kids, so I had two older sisters, two younger sisters, and uh, a mother that didn't drive, and a a dad that owned his own business, an automotive parts store. So, grew up in a family business, so there wasn't a lot of time for sports. My uh, mom would take my uh, sisters to a lot of their activities, which were close by, to the uh, local school, and uh, we had the local rink. So, Uh, In summers, I didn't play a lot of sports because I'd go to work with my dad from a young age and uh, we always enjoyed sports. And and then it was when my dad really got involved with our community league and started sponsoring and sponsoring the local hockey programs. And um, I went to school with a lot of the guys that played on his teams that he would sponsor. And, uh, you know, finally people said, well, why don't you play? And I said, yeah, why don't I? So that's where I started. So I was never an elite hockey player. I really enjoyed the game. Uh, and then, you know, I went on to other sports, team sports and uh, school, like football and so on. So it was being brought up that way. And then through the sponsorship of my dad's company with other higher level uh, junior B back in Edmonton, at one time was very good. Uh, you know, the Alberta Junior Hockey League only had eight teams. There, there was no Western Hockey League team as Edmonton had moved to Portland. So a lot of the players stayed back and really good players, high caliber players, but they started going to U of A or Nate. And uh, they would play junior B if they couldn't make those teams. So the caliber was really good, and that's where I probably really started to uh, cut my teeth in terms of coaching and understanding players and team building and so on. So uh, that was my background, and you know I went to Nate and took uh, radio and television arts, become a broadcaster, and I've had experience with that. And while at Nate, I was also served on the uh, Nate Students Association of athletics chairman. Uh, worked with Perry Pern, who coached the Ukebuk hockey team at that time. And, you know, you learned some of the business end of the uh, hockey, like budgets and equipment buying and management and salaries and so on. So um, really a broad, broad spectrum of, uh, uh, I guess you'd call experience on the off ice side of it as well. Uh, you know, I got to a point where I was playing high school football and I knew I wasn't going to be a great hockey player and uh, uh, started coaching. Uh, at a very young age at 17 I was asked to at that time they called them mites and uh, now I guess they would be under 10s but uh, started coaching there and uh, going to uh, NCCP uh, coach clinics and uh, through Hockey Canada taking their coach uh, uh, clinics learning a lot about the game and I found that you know at 17 18 19 I learned more about the game taking coaching clinics than I ever had as a player. So, uh, it was really something that I enjoyed. And from there getting involved with hockey, Alberta elite programs, uh, competitive hockey in the Edmonton area. And of course, uh, with hockey Canada programs as well.
0: Yeah. It's very interesting to to hear some of the experiences you had early on. And, uh, you know, like you said, when you knew that maybe your career as a player wasn't going to take you as far as you would hope, uh, you you turned to coaching and really got the experience early on and taking those clinics and, Some people, it takes maybe a little bit longer to come to that realization that they want to go in that direction. But, um, you know, whenever you do, it's beneficial to go in that direction and and learn those things from people who are great at teaching it. And then just some of the people that speak at some of those events.
1: And a lot of uh, my experiences and a lot of individuals experiences will be, too, in different fields or something that they never even consider hockey or professional sports or sports of any kind, as a career but uh, then you start finding that things you're doing in another field overlap and actually play a role or play a part in sports and sports management so it's really important if you uh, take my background growing up in the family business with automotive parts well you have inventory control so you can liken that to uh, a player list and making sure that you have turnover and you have development strategy and uh, you know in auto parts you want to make sure that you're selling product four times at least four times a year off the shelf and with hockey development with the list you want to make sure you have players that number one have a better than even chance of making your team at some point and have some value within the league as players as well and that it's good product or in this case we're talking about people good people good character all those traits you're looking for so and many of the things that my dad would look for in an employee i, I was around and you, you kind, of, kind of rubs off and you and you look for those things in a player as well so There's a lot of overlap that people take for granted, but it's uh, really important.
0: Yeah, definitely. I like the fact that you talk about that overlap and sometimes you'll learn something uh, in a completely different field that, like you say, you can tie back into the game of hockey and just backtracking a little bit on something you said there about your schooling. You went into radio and broadcasting. Uh, Was your interest in sports a reason for this route? I know um, others I've talked with have gone the same way and decided to go into broadcasting because of their love of sports maybe just talk about that experience again and um, just how you enjoyed your time uh, in that field.
1: Oh, my, my love was uh, entertaining and drama. I I enjoyed those things. And uh, you know, even when I played minor sports uh, you know, Eddie Shack, a bit of the entertainer in that, and I wasn't a real big hot dog or anything, but I enjoyed performing. And uh, in front of uh, whether it be a small crowd or big crowd, it was just, it's enjoyable for a community to come together. So when I entered radio and television arts, um, I really wanted to be a broadcaster where that was whether it was uh you know spinning rec- records and becoming a disc jockey or being a newsreader uh i just want to learn the field and i eventually did become um uh you know a disc jockey uh, i started actually as a cameraman with uh, cbc in edmonton and and they went on strike so then i became a disc jockey moved away and uh, moved into uh, the sports department so we had flipped over so It evolved that way. I always loved sports, um, always followed it, you know, whether it be football or hockey or baseball, always had a real broad knowledge of it, but I also uh, understood politics and understood news events, uh, particularly on the municipal and provincial levels. So it was something that interested me. And uh, I think when you're learning, you're always, you know, moving forward and improving. So uh, taking radio evolved into sports and I did quite a bit of sports broadcasting while at Nate but uh, that was more the coincidence. And then, of course, it took on the athletics chairman role. Um, There, again, more coincidence than uh, uh, purpose or uh, a plan.
0: Yeah, I mean, anytime you can go after something that you're passionate about, uh, it's enjoyable as a career and things like that. And again, you said that sometimes you might go into something and not really realize that it's going to be a passion of yours. And personally, that was me when I got into scouting. I didn't think that would be an area that I enjoy. But it's quickly become probably the the main thing that I enjoy in the game of hockey. And for you, you were able to jump into the WHL as a scout and start with the Prince Albert Raiders. Talk about how you found yourself in Prince Albert and what you learned in that initial scouting role.
1: I was coaching competitive hockey in Edmonton at the AAA level. And uh, our daughter was already at, born in 1987. And then our son was born in 1989. So I had taken that year off when he was being born uh, to uh, get away from the rink a little bit. Uh, as many young uh, minor hockey coaches know, uh, the parenting demands and the uh, criticism and that that's hard to take for uh, for a young ego. And uh, so it was just time to get away a little bit so I wasn't bringing that home with me. And uh, I got a call from uh, Terry Simpson who was uh, just came back from the NHL, had rejoined the uh, Prince Albert Raiders and uh, they were looking for a scout in the Edmonton area. And his uh, head scout at that time was Dale Ango and he gave me a call as well. So we met and uh, I got the job. So I started in the Edmonton area. Uh, back then it was, um, it was no different than coaching. I mean, we didn't make anything in terms of honorariums that for coaching. We did it for community service in our own time and volunteering for the uh, community. So I was making 20 cents a kilometer at that time uh, for uh, Prince Albert, and that's back in 1988, 89. And, uh, uh, but you know what, I loved it. I loved the game. I had already worked with uh, Hockey Alberta and some elite camps and so on. So it's time to put some of the uh, things that I learned in those elite camps in terms of mechanics and player uh, positioning, hockey sense. Um, you start formulating it and now it was a chance to put those experiences and put them down on paper in terms of projecting how a player was going to develop, where he would develop to and what player kind of player he could become. So uh so it was a flute call. I was referred by a, a, a local coach here, Nestor Chomick, who's also a school teacher in Edmonton. And uh, you know, I'm always very grateful, and I like to mention Nestor's name when I can because uh, that's just the chance. And I know a lot of people were trying to get into scouting, but uh, more often than not, you'll find out that it's going to be word of mouth, and somebody gives you a, a nice referral.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely not a field where you simply put in your resume on uh, on a job board <laughs> by any means. It, it takes a lot of uh people fighting for you behind the scenes and and kind of going in through it that way so that's a great uh, story just to hear about your entry to the WHL and I'm always interested in hearing about those initial experiences and, and how that kind of formulates so next you would move into red deer for a season how did that role maybe differ from the last one and just break down your experience in red deer overall
1: well after five years in Prince Albert I was really on a, uh, a steep learning curve and development curve as a scout and as a you know a hockey manager and I was given so much opportunity by Dale Langle who was our head scout when I started Terry Simpson had gone back to the NHL and Terry eventually became or uh, Dale eventually became general manager and PA so uh although I was never officially named the head scout Dale gave me more and more responsibility I started traveling across western Canada identifying bantams for our uh, draft and um, so I really enjoyed my time in Prince Albert we had some success there And then moving over to Red Deer, uh, ironically, I went to work for Wayne Simpson, who's Terry's brother, and uh, I really enjoyed working for Wayne. And at that time, Carter Sears was the head scout. uh, Jeff Schnoth was in marketing. So for me, it was a bit of a step back. I enjoyed it because it was closer to home for me, so I could watch our team more. But at the same time, uh, with Carter being the head scout and doing uh, the bulk of the traveling, I, I was not stuck, but I more assigned to Edmonton again. So it was a bit of a step back, but the one thing I really enjoyed and valued was the uh, conversations with Wayne Simpson, who had a lot of success with Prince Albert before he moved to Lethbridge. And then the uh, Simpson brothers of course bought Red Deer, but um, Wayne had a lot of success. And I learned a lot more about building a team and building a championship team and what to look for in a player. So uh, it was just one year, but uh, the experience was invaluable. And there again, uh, Wayne is the one that recommended me to the Schneeweiss family when uh, it came time for the Edmonton expansion team.
0: Yeah, another uh, another great experience that you were able to have. And while you said maybe just because you're covering one area was a step back in that sense, you definitely were able to learn about different areas of uh, management and and those things. You know, when an opportunity would come further down the road, it could play uh, into your ability to get that position and. And maybe that was the next role, you know, working with the ice organization in Winnipeg, Edmonton, Kootenay. Uh, you know, you spent some time there first as a scout and then eventually moving into the assistant general manager, director of player personnel role. So just break down your entire time um, with that organization and, and what you learned as you progressed, uh, you know, to different roles in that organization.
1: Well, Edmonton was awarded uh, an expansion franchise in 95, 96. And that was to the Schnoth family, Ed Schnoth and Jeff Schnoth. And uh, so they were starting to that first year is really an administration year you don't have a team, you're not competing, but you are building your list and you're building your um, off ice in terms of marketing. So uh, it, you talk about that learning curve, it was incredible, but boy, it was fun. It was uh, as I said, Wayne had you know recommended me, the Chanel family brought me in and they were originally going to hire Perry Pern, I think to be the coach and the general manager and he would you know look after scouting for that initial year and then Perry took a job in the NHL so there again right place right time and uh, you know just going back to Red Deer for a second with Carter Sears as head scout and you've probably found this in hockey too like some really good people but there's some people that think you're too ambitious at times or you're pushing for their job and that certainly wasn't the case in Red Deer but that's the sense I, I had sometimes so going to Edmonton it was a clean slate in terms of there was no team there was no bad habits to break Um, and we started from the ground up. So marketing, it was, what's our logo going to look like? What's our team name going to be? What's our team colors going to be? And I'll always remember from a scouting perspective, um, Ed saying, well, what kind of team are we going to be? And that really struck a chord, and it sticks with me to this day. And we talked about, okay, what's our identity going to be? So we took the approach that we were going to build a team that was fast and exciting, and everybody talks about that. But, of course, the Oilers had played across the street at the Coliseum for so many years, you know, and they had won five Stanley Cups. So I said, I'd like to build a team that's a little bit more similar to what they used to be. And, of course, there was a big dry spot in the mid-90s for the Oilers. So we had a chance to uh, do something. So that's the kind of players that we try to build around. Uh, Good hockey IQ, fast. And I remember as a broadcast journalist, uh, I used to cover the Oilers. And one question I had for Glenn Sather was, you know, the Oilers are fast, but every team in the NHL is fast. So what's, what's the difference? And he goes, we're fast with the puck. And that struck with me, too, and it stuck with me. And it's, you know, so we're looking for players that not only could process and see outlets quickly, but at the same time could handle the puck at high speed, make passes at high speed. And if you really look at those old Oiler teams or any of the skilled teams like uh, Montreal in their heyday, probably Pittsburgh more late, um, it's their ability to really, you know, spring people loose, use a lot of speed and uh, a high skill level with the puck. So, uh, you know, that's what we try to build in Edmonton. I think we were fairly successful doing with that. Our drafts were successful, and uh, so you know, starting with the off ice, you learn so much. Then move it to the on ice, and I, you know, the Chanel family is very good to me. They really gave me carte blanche to start building a list, and Bob had joined us from uh, Seattle, where he was general manager. So we all worked together as a unit, Uh, we had our meetings uh, on a weekly basis, sometimes a daily basis, and uh, we had our battles, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, that makes it fun, but you try not to make it personal, you try to, uh, you know, always ensure that it's for the betterment of the organization. And, uh, you know, you look back now, and I remember Ed rolling his eyes sometimes when I would bring up some names and what my thought process was. And, uh, <laughs> and he used to have this habit, his jaws would come out and his face would get all red and you could see he was getting upset. But uh, after uh, two or three years and we had some success, uh, Ed relaxed a little bit and uh, I think he had more trust in us, obviously. And uh, really, you know, when we said something, he respected that. He'd still question, which was really good. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we built a strong list. Uh, we, you know, we took some players in the expansion draft and there you are bringing bad habits into your organization sometimes, or you are bringing players that didn't really have a chance and would like to play it up a little bit with an expansion team that they were a little bit more significant or important as players than they were. So we had to change that culture, move some of those players out. And uh, we took our licks early, but within four years we were in our first Memorial Cup. So I think you see that with a lot of expansion teams. Now the success they have early is because they're not breaking all those bad habits and they can create their identity early.
0: Yeah, anytime you got an expansion opportunity, it's definitely something that you want to be careful with and and well thought out. And I always love hearing about the early conversations. Like you said, sometimes, you know, you'd be saying one thing and and the other person on the other side of the table is thinking, what is this person saying? Like, you know, I've heard that story many times in in different team situations. But, you know, like you said, when you go through that process, you really um, evaluate every part of the organization, and you got to have a proper plan. And And when it goes right, that's when you can get to a Memorial Cup quickly. That's when a team like, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights in the NHL, they can be successful and make the Cup final in their first year. And uh, I always throw in the Newfoundland Growlers, you know, being around there and they were able to win a Kelly Cup in their first year. It's just, um, you know, it's exciting to see when it goes right, but there definitely is a lot of work that has to play uh, into that process as well.
1: Exactly. And, uh, you know, and everybody talks about character, bringing in character players, but, whatever you do or you can play any way you want but when you're talking about character or leadership or skill the most important things and this is what I try to pass on to younger scouts is know what that means it's great to say it and a lot of people uh or you know use rhetoric and they use the buzzwords but they don't understand what well what does character look like how, how do you evaluate that how do you identify that in a player uh skill different types of skills and you know, so there's things to look for and those are intangibles. And um, that was part of my track record. And, you know, any success I had were some of those things uh, came through. And there again, as we started this conversation, that goes back to being a, a, you know, a young kid going to work with my dad and, you know, studying customers that came in, studying uh, his staff and so on and and their traits. So uh, a lot of those things were were within me for a long, long time.
0: Yeah. And when you take everything that you learned to that time in in your life and like you said a lot of stuff in hockey but a lot of stuff outside of the game as well you know you feel like you're in a position to really take on a key role and eventually that role would come in Lethbridge as a general manager Uh, just talk about again how that role transpired and then what it was like uh, working in that management role and, and taking all of your previous experiences and kind of leading the ship as they say.
1: Well, that's where I'm very grateful for the Schnouth family and uh, for them affording me the opportunity to learn the entire uh, operation of a, you know, hockey franchise, both off ice on ice, um, you know, wages, salaries, budgeting. Um, You know, Jeff would uh, take me along to the league meetings and everything else. So I sat in with all the GM meetings. Uh, I did a lot of the administrative work in terms of registration, uh, player agreements, standard agreements, trade agreements. So, you know, I was well versed in all those things and quite comfortable, coupled with my uh, business experience, both in our family business and through Nate administration and working with big budgets. So I wasn't intimidated by those things at all. And I was really looking forward to it. And I had actually interviewed for the Lethbridge job two years earlier and uh, it was turned down. They, they went with their uh, local um, marketing who was already with the organization. And then two years later, they... They want to make a change again. So, you know, I remember Ed telling the board in uh, Lethbridge that, uh, you know, I don't need, he doesn't need to do interviews for giggles anymore. You know, so are you interested in hiring him or are you not? If it's just going to be an interview, I'm not going to give you permission. So, uh, in essence, he forced their hand a little bit. And then uh, I still met with them and uh, wasn't sure I was going to take the job. There seemed to be some uncertainty, and it was a large board, 15 members. So you can imagine trying to appease and satisfy all of them. And there again, I was very confident and uh, in any information I had to share or any answers uh, they were looking for. But at the same time, you never know how people are going to react. And when you're talking about 15, that, uh, that certainly sets the odds at a, a different level. But I got the job, uh, actually went in. The season had already started in Lethbridge. And uh, so... I came on as general manager, Michael Dick came on as head coach, and, uh, you know, we made the playoffs that year, but the culture, uh, it was quite a culture shock from things that, you know, I was used to with uh, Edmonton and Kootenai, Prince Albert, uh, Red Deer, all those, uh, just the level of uh, expectation and, you know, how our players would dress for a game, uh, what the expectation was with curfews, how we would check on those, and so, you know, I, I liken culture in an organization to character to an individual and uh, the culture in Lethbridge wasn't terrible, but it did need some fine tuning and uh, put a refocus on what we were there for. And uh, in the Western Hockey League, I think the real emphasis is on, you know, good education off the ice. Academics are important and on the ice, uh, you know, we want to develop you and give you the best opportunity as a player to move on and use hockey as a vehicle to uh, Either you know have a career in hockey in sports, or at the very least uh, go on to university or college and and learn a trade or learn you know get a degree. So academics is very important. We started changing the culture in Lethbridge, and uh, you know we were we were okay the first year, took a dip in the second year, and then uh, by the third year we had already started bringing in players that you know fit our identity or what we wanted our identity to be and. we won the Eastern Conference that year. It was uh, a lot of fun and a lot of excitement around uh, Lethbridge. So uh, the biggest thing for me going to Lethbridge was probably off the ice and actually managing a staff, an off-ice staff. So you're not not just working with coaches now, but you're working with your marketing department, with your finance, uh, with 15 directors. So uh, that that kept me busy. And we are also in the middle of uh, planning for a renovation of the building. So a lot of interaction with the city of Lethbridge. So uh, we were there for four and a half years. My wife and I had bought a house there, kept our house in Edmonton, but we bought a house in Lethbridge. We loved our time there and uh, it came to an end in 2009, but we had some success. Uh, They had struggled for 11 years. I think they played four, a total of four home playoff games in an 11 year span. Uh, We ended up playing uh, uh, eight or yeah, 18 home games in the uh, four and a half years and uh, we went 18 and 18 in the playoffs as i said we put up a banner so uh, a lot of success and uh but you also the learning point in lethbridge and this is for all young guys as well is uh it's not like a typical career where if you do a good job you have a job Uh, when you're working with a board or you're working with an owner that wants change they can decide to make change and there's really not a lot of rhyme or reason to it sometimes but uh it happens and and you move on. So we moved on.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's a great point to make there as well. Just the fact that a lot of times uh, in junior hockey, it's just a matter of, you said 15 people on a board, a lot of different opinions are in play there and and you can see success or see growth in an organization. And again, for whatever reason, just they move in a different direction and uh, you know, whether you agree with it or not, you have to move on and, and wait for that next opportunity. And, Luckily for you, that opportunity was a, was a good one as you were able to join the Toronto Maple Leafs organization as a scout. Uh, kind of take us through that journey of joining the Leafs and maybe talk about the difference in scouting slash recruiting, uh, you know, from that level as opposed to junior hockey.
1: Well, first of all, it was the first time I'd ever lost a job. So that was a bit of a kick in the uh, kick in the gut for me and uh, something new that I had to deal with. But you know, so many of my friends and people told me, well, that's sports, you have to get used to that. So uh, I wasn't bitter at all, because there again, I was grateful for the experience. So that summer, I just told my wife, let's take some time off and travel. And uh, so um, I had found out that uh, Toronto was looking for a scout in the Western region, they had Garth Malarczyk, they wanted to add another scout. So I put in my resume and uh, went and interviewed in late July, and it seemed like it went well, but I didn't really hear anything back. So we were on our holiday and uh, uh, you know, the one thing I remember going to the interview, I dressed up in a suit and tie, I took it seriously. And, and one of the first questions from Dave Morrison was the director of scouting and just a really, real good person and um, a great boss. And, uh, but his first question in the interview was you win a conference title, you have a lot of success in the playoffs and then the next day you don't have a job, what happened? And my response was, well, that's hockey. And I left it at that and Dave uh, shared with me after, you know, a couple of years later, he said, you know, two things really affected your interview. He says, number one, you came with a suit and tie. He says that was an indication that it meant a lot to you. And it was a, you know, a business interview. And he said, the second thing was your response to what happened in Lethbridge. He said, you know, you weren't busy, bitter, you were positive and you moved on. And he said, you seemed like somebody that we could work with as opposed to somebody that wanted to bring the past with them. So... Got a chance to move to Toronto and uh, an awesome experience. Uh, Great organization. At that time, Richard Petty was heading up uh, Maple Leaf Sports and uh, Entertainment. Uh, Dave Nonis and Brian Burke uh, were in management. Brian was the general manager. Dave, assistant general manager. Dave Morris was director of scouting. Worked with Garth. uh, The scouts throughout uh, Mike Palmetier, George Armstrong, Pierre Ryu everything was just so good at the uh, scouting administration director Reed Mitchell, uh, just very welcoming, open people. And you kind of scratch your head and go, geez, how's Toronto been struggling for so long because there's so many good people, but really saw something building there. And, uh, at that time they used a term win with Maple Leaf sports and entertainment. And you felt you're part of a bigger organization than just the Maple Leafs. So it was the Raptors. It was the Marlies. And, uh, Uh, You know, obviously the Leafs as well and you just felt good about it in the Toronto Football Club. So you felt you're part of something really big and really special and I spent six years with Toronto, loved every minute of it. Uh, The big difference for scouting was, of course, you're not going to those uh, tournaments uh, in Bantam or uh, midget hockey where you start at seven in the morning and work till 11 at night and eat a lot of hot dogs because you don't get time for a lunch break and, um, you know, traveling to smaller centers and everything else. So your travel was probably more, but of course you're traveling by plane more often, um, or you know, on good highways to bigger centers to watch uh, junior hockey. So, and you weren't looking at, you know, we'd prepare a list of uh, maybe 250 players for minor hockey for a junior draft, where in the NHL we were asked to put together a list of uh, 25 to 30 players for a region, which for me was Western Canada, going from uh, Manitoba to uh, BC and then into the Pacific Northwest. So to limit your list to 25 to 30 players, but your expectation of knowing those players was, um, a lot more. You had to have a good background, a lot more interviews with the players, a lot more in-depth interviews, a lot more peripherals in terms of what was the family background, what was the player's interests. So, um, so it was really, really good. And then, uh, the meetings themselves uh, three times a year, where you'd get together with all the scout staff. Just the information you shared, and uh, a real good camaraderie there with the uh, Leaf scouting staff and sharing of interests. And uh, as again, I get back to this we had our battles and we'd butt heads, and uh, but it never got personal. You know, you would attack, well, what do you see in this guy? And then we'd talk about player and we would talk about strengths and weaknesses. Uh, character would only come into play if character was a problem with the player, but we never attacked somebody and said, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. It's, uh, there was always that level of respect. So uh, it was really good. I thought we just started to turn the corner. And then uh, of course, uh, Dave Poulin and Claude Loisel were there as well, working as assistant GMs. And I just have nothing but time and the utmost respect for those two individuals. Uh, Dave is such a classy guy shared a lot of his stories as captain of Philadelphia, uh, the things he learned uh, through Bobby Clark, and then Claude Loiselle. You know, one thing he brought up was talking about the third and fourth line, and you probably know this as a scout. Everybody talks about a weaker player sometimes could be a bottom six forward. Was Claude used to say, no, because the bottom six forward a lot of times is he has to be in on the four check or he has to do the grunt work, he has to kill penalties. So they have to be the best skater. Sometimes they have to be the fastest and they may not be able to handle the puck as well, but their speed and their, you know, ability to read the play, uh, their smarts, that's so important. So something that you may not think of, and I didn't think of all those years until I got to Toronto and now I use it all the time and uh, use it with our scouting staff. So, um, it wasn't overwhelming, but it was certainly enjoyable. i grateful for the experience and, uh, I think one of the interesting thing to, things, too, is, and this is more probably ego related, is just how people treat you. You know, it's funny when you're, you're a minor coach um, and you're just young and starting out, it's funny how parents treat you sometimes and they attack you and they call you names and they feel free to let loose on you. And then, you know, you move into coaching competitive and they're still hard on you a little bit and then uh, you move into scouting and major junior and people treat you a little bit better because you have something that they might be interested in or they don't want to offend you. And then when you move to the NHL level, uh, it's amazing how people treat you. And, uh, you know, they treat you very well. And uh, as a person, I don't think I changed at all. I was still the same person, but it's just funny how people react to you in a different uh, different light.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And, and anytime you have the Toronto Maple Leafs name attached to, uh, <laughs> attached to, you know, you wearing a logo on your jacket or anything like that, I think um, a different standard uh, comes with that as well. And, uh, you know, very few people have been fortunate enough to be in that position, but you were luckily one of those and uh, able to meet a number of tremendous people. You listed uh, a number of names that struck, uh, struck something in my mind and, and people that I've heard of. So, uh, great to hear that you were able to go in that position and and really learn from it and have those positive interactions in what was a you know maybe a little bit different experience uh, compared to what you were dealing with before. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. after following your time uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs, you were tied back into junior hockey this time, going into the Calgary Hitmen organization as a director of scouting, uh, taking what you now knew after spending some time with the Leafs organization how did your scouting approach change as you jumped back into junior and then walk through your time in Calgary as well?
1: I think the biggest thing that changed for me, my time in uh, Toronto was uh, just becoming calmer and, uh, uh, emotions in check a little bit more. You'd get frustrated if you missed a flight or if a flight was canceled and you had a game scheduled that night and you knew you weren't going to make it. And, uh, Dave Morrison, who I said was my boss, uh, You know, former Los Angeles Kings draft pick played for the Peterborough Peets, um, scouted for Vancouver, then went to the Maple Leafs. And he was really good. Like he said, Are you flying the plane? I said, No. He says, Can you control the weather? No. He says, Well, then what are you getting worked up about? And from that point on, it was, um, you know, I think in the back of your mind, especially, you know, having lost a job in Lethbridge for no apparent reason, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know I want to do everything right I want to make sure that I'm accountable and and you know he brought it back to a level where it was you're doing what you need to do so just do that and uh, so it was really good and it was calm and you can't control everything so what I brought back to Calgary I think was a little bit of maturity um, a little bit of calmness again and uh, and when you're an outsider coming in you also look at the organization and you know the Calgary Hitmen have been a pretty successful organization and uh you know, Kelly Kissio, uh, his son, Brent Kissio, who's a coach, Dave Lowry coached there, Mike Williamson coached there, uh, Mike Moore was general manager when I got there, Dan Bonner was the uh, the head scout and Brad Whalen had just moved on. He was the assistant GM and now is, you know, an assistant GM with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning for many years. But so when I got to Calgary, Dan was in charge and there again, one of the things I found with the hitmen, as much success as they had, they had never won a Memorial Cup. Um, and at the same time, they always had good talent, whether it be coaches or managers or players, they always had talent. So what was the, the missing factor there? And I, I think the big thing, and you know, I, I discussed it with Dan, I discussed it with Mike Moore was, I think the biggest thing that was missing there again was the identity. Who are the Calgary Hitmen? What are the Calgary Hitmen? And uh, they didn't really have a defined style of play. So you know, I said, it just makes it a lot easier when you're out scouting and identifying players does this player fit our organization? Does this player fit the style of play? So, you know, I'd worked there for two years and Dallas Thompson was also brought on about the same time. And, you know, we talked about that and we shared those ideas. So it was enjoyable. And I think we made some headway. I think the team was, you know, starting a, a little bit of a deck decline because they had some success, but they had traded away some draft choices. And, uh, you know, so they, they had some holes to fill, but didn't have the draft selections to, uh, to make them. So, we started to turn the corner a little bit I thought we were building some you know a, a good foundation there and you know and hopefully some of the things I brought rubbed off and uh, you know they're competitors now but uh, still you know Mike Moore is uh uh president now and Jeff Schnouth is the general manager now so it's you know obviously people I've known and worked with and uh, I wish them nothing but success as well and then uh, when we compete against each other that's a different uh, different issue but uh it's good people. And, uh, you know, they're doing some good things. And there again, I'd like to think that I had some influence on uh, their current decisions.
0: Yeah. A lot of times with scouts, what we'll hear about is, you know, a scout's work isn't often uh, immediately noticeable. So a lot of times you get in a situation where you make a career change or you change teams and what you're, you were doing maybe a few years previously is is now just coming into play. So uh, I'm sure that's something you did during your time even it's just the conversations and interactions have played into their success and the growth of the organization today moving into your current role you're now with the tri-city americans in that assistant general manager role and definitely involved in scouting as well um just talk about how you made your way to tri-city and how you have enjoyed that position thus far
1: well i I took a little time off and i became general manager of short park minor hockey here locally and then uh uh, Tri-City, Barkley Pernata was their assistant GM and director of scouting, and uh, he was moving over to Vancouver to the Giants to become general manager. So so I phoned Bob Torrey, who's the general manager in uh, Tri-Cities, and we had worked together, of course, with the Edmonton Ice and the Kootenai Ice and coached against each other in Edmonton. So we've known each other for years, and I said, you know, um, if you're taking applications for the job, I'd like to apply. If you're going to hire from within, I understand that. I certainly support that. Uh, but I you know I don't want to cut myself short so uh, you know he had he had some uh, uh, applicants and so on he looked from within and then I uh, you know we continued talking over a few weeks uh, had lunch and in essence he said you know like this interview really isn't necessary I know what you can do and you know the job is yours if you want it and, you know here's what we can pay you and everything else and uh and it's never been about pay for me it's always been about the enjoyment and uh, feeling worthwhile and feeling uh, valued as an employee so I took that job in Tri-Cities and uh, you know I do as assistant general manager I do oversee the scouting uh, department as well and uh, we had a great group of guys to work with and that's important too Uh, a lot of times you'll see people move to an organization and they clean house and I've always tried to avoid that wherever I've gone and uh, you know With the ice, I got to build my own staff, but other places you go, you inherit a staff and it just never made sense to me. If these people are here, they're people of value, why would you just can them and run them off, try to make them better or try to educate them or share with them some of your experience. But, uh, you know, in Tri-Cities, I've been really, really fortunate. We have an outstanding staff, really good people from uh, the U.S. to B.C., Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. So they're good. They know their stuff. Uh, we enjoy the game. We have fun when we're together. We laugh lots, but most importantly, we get our work done. And I think we've done a pretty good job.
0: Yeah, I think when you can enjoy your role and, and have that fun and camaraderie amongst the group, it really does translate to success on the ice. So great to hear that. It's been uh, positive and, and you're able to come into a great staff and really connect with them from day one. It's, it's just always great to hear that uh, when changing positions, especially at the junior level where a lot of times there is a lot of movement now working Great. for an American team, uh, you know, that change in location will likely maybe alter your approach in scouting. And we see it in, in NHL as well. And in other leagues, just talk about maybe the, whether it's easier or harder, uh, scouting for an American market and dealing with a lot of times, Canadian kids, uh, you know, coming into the WHL.
1: Well, it's always been about the hockey first. So it hasn't been a, you know, a big curve or, change for me. So it's always been about the hockey and about the program. And I believe if you do the right things and create the experience and the environment, uh, that's that's what it's about. So it doesn't really matter where you're located. I've worked in small markets. I've worked in bigger markets. I've worked for boards. I've worked for private ownership. So there's a vast uh, experience and background I've had. So make your program really good. And then good players want to play with good players. So if you create an environment with good billets good housing um the players are having fun together enjoy each other trust each other uh that environment you know where you have the good character in your room the great leadership all those things are important so working for tri cities has been exciting and the fact that i'm working with a visa now even with the nhl you know a lot of my friends were working for uh NHL teams based out of the US. And, you know, I heard about some of their nightmares, sometimes getting their visas or crossing borders and so on. Um, So this has been a new experience for me. But, uh, you know, I think the familiarity of working with Bob Tory and his wife, Audrey, who, uh, you know, looks after the financial end of the business, uh, it's been outstanding. And then with Olaf Kolzig as a part owner, Stu Barnes, part owner, really good hockey people and good hockey minds and just classy individuals as well. So it hasn't been a big learning curve. And I think the Western Hockey League as a whole, and I certainly understood it back when I was with Lethbridge and even in my later years in Kootenai, is that in order for the game to grow, and we have a lot of teams in the Western Hockey League now, we have to expand our territory and our markets and look for players. And you know, the growth of hockey in uh, in the United States is huge. And I think there has to be some kind of return on investment for those parents and for those players. And there has to be outlets and you know, they've got some excellent hockey programs in the US, but we think we compete as well. So, And we have something to offer in terms of our, you know, uh, scholarship programs. So, and I don't think US kids are a lot different than anybody else. Yes, there's competition with the NCAA, but at the same time, um, you know, I think players that want to be pros and move on to the NHL or the American Hockey League uh, want to get there as quickly as they can too. So certainly Major Junior is a, a real good route to go. And um, so I've enjoyed it. I've used the same uh, principles that I've used all along. I've always told people that I will treat your son the way I expected my two children to be treated when they were growing up, and that's with class, dignity, and honesty. And uh, you know, we'll give, you, we'll give your son some structure. Uh, there will be some expectation, but at the most part, we want him to have fun. We want him to develop as a young man and as a good citizen first, a good student second, and then if he becomes a good or a great hockey player, that's bonus. So uh, it's been fun working in the market. Uh, you know, I'm in Edmonton right now and it's minus 31 today. And with the wind chill, minus 40. So I know in Tri-Cities, I think it was probably about 12 degrees Celsius today. So uh, when we're down there, it's the desert of Washington State. It's, uh, it's
0: a great place to be. Yeah, definitely very different than Edmonton. But uh, I like how you, again, mentioned about building a program and doing things the right way. And at the end of the day and in junior hockey, a lot of times it really just comes down to developing, developing players as people and not so much as further on ice abilities. But if you can turn them into great hockey players and teach them the right skills along the way, it's a, just a benefit for everybody involved. Exactly. Looking at your career to date, you know, looking way back in your first role and, and when you made that change to getting to coaching and, and now your current role, how much has the game changed? And specifically looking at scouting, how has that changed in terms of now using things like video analytics and, and just the way that you go about connecting with players and, and learning about players?
1: Well, you have so many more tools uh, at your disposal. So, uh, you know, if you forget something, you can go back and look at it on video, you can break it down, you can slow it down, you can replay it. So those parts are are, are very important. But I, I think the, the core to scouting hasn't changed a lot in the fact that. You know, some people are very good at it because they understand the mechanics, they understand what what it is they're looking for. To reiterate what we talked about earlier, you know, it's easy to say we want character in a player, we want a player that, uh, you know, has a skill level, We all these things, those are all important, but to be able to identify them and know what they look like, uh, that's important as well. So, so the really good scouts will always draw on the, the essentials or the foundation, and then when you're using all these tools and you can go back and you know uh, even our reporting like when I started you know I would do my own spreadsheets and I'd take the scout information and enter it on spreadsheets and now we use scouting software of course so everybody can enter their own reports and their own ratings and evaluations in the field so it's a lot easier for our scouts and then for me to go back and read their reports as opposed to you know digest it and apply it to something else so um, it's almost instantaneous. It's nice when we go to a rink. Uh, but there's a player that catches my eye that it, you know I haven't really heard the name. I can go see what our reports are on the player. So it's changed that way. I think it's a lot more in depth. Um, you know, I, I think analytics are important, but I think there again sometimes it's a buzzword more so than you know. We used to use stats. We'd call it stats, and really the, you know analytics. I know it's a little bit more than that, but a lot a lot of it is just that. And, uh, so there again, any information you have, it's not just the information you have, it's how do you interpret it? And that's, you know, stockbrokers. Why are some stockbrokers successful and some aren't because some understand what they're reading. Some can understand the trends. Some can understand the projections, but they all have the same information. So who's interpreting the information, what it means, how are you going to use it? Those are still the important parts that come down to, um, manpower and uh, the ability to read interpret and uh, and apply the tools that have been given us and afforded us uh, you know all these things even uh, uh, access to rinks now uh, just you know a lot of times where scouts get to stand and spread around and uh, you find more and more that uh, the the sewing circle or the coffee the coffee crew as i'd call them uh, you know they're still i call it old school scouting where guys get together and it's a social event and they're in scrums and they're talking about a lot of things uh, where a lot of times you'll see me or you'll see our staff. We're kind of um, isolated by ourselves. We're watching the game and uh, but we're enjoying it and we're doing our work. So uh, and then when we get together and then when you have that success, it's a lot more fun. So that's really how it's changed is uh, just the tools that are available to you. But interpreting it, uh, being willing to change with what's available to you is important and then uh, sharing it with others. Succession planning, making sure that, uh, you know, you're not hoarding information or you're not hoarding knowledge. Make sure you're always um, rising up or raising up other, uh, other staff members so that they could eventually take your job over.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not a, a process for one person to go through. And I think that's been the same way since day one as well, that, uh, you know, to be a successful scout or a successful team, you have to have a full staff of people who I'll um, bring their different elements and have somebody who's able to deal with the video or someone that's able to understand the numbers and and bring it back into the, the ultimate goal, which is recruiting and, and finding these players. So an interesting topic I wanted to tie in. But, um, you know, you really summed it up great there in saying that, you know, information has changed. But at the end of the day, you still have to understand how to break down that information and, and turn it into your end result. Right on. A lot of people, um, you know, look to learn these different things from other people in the industry. And you said it great in, in the way that a, an organization has to have multiple people who interact with each other to, to ultimately get that end success that you're looking for. And the people at My Hockey Resource think the same way. Their community on Discord, which have scouts, managers, coaches from all over the world discussing different topics and, and sometimes tying in resources that they like to use as well. So, for anybody listening who would like to learn more about that, check out my hockey resource on Twitter and Instagram. Roy, one of the things that they talk about on there a lot is books and articles and these different resources that they look to for uh, new ideas and, and things that they can bring back into the game. For you, what are some of your favorite lo- things to look for or look into when you're looking for these new ideas?
1: Uh, my biggest thing has always been leadership and that's why John Maxwell is a uh... As an author and as a presenter has always been huge for me just breaking down leadership and i always use his simplest term leadership is the ability to influence so and that could be positive or negative so you know you try to be positive but so john maxwell uh, some business leaders their books are always very important because what we do in hockey um you know when you're talking about analytics and that that's not new to business and that's not new to industry so it's new to sports industry sometimes but how to read those reports and charts and and information that's important so the business ones are important but i always go back to the sport books too and and when i talk about leadership it's uh lou holtz it's uh richard petty uh the dream job that he had written when you know after he had left maple leaf sports and entertainment uh call me coach john wooden tony dungy uh the lombardi rules by uh, vince lombardi jr the essential wooden and then uh, the education of a coach uh, written about Bill Belichick. So you read some of their experiences and, you know, I, I go back to when I was a kid, I mean, we all loved sports and we didn't have, uh, when I was a kid, we didn't have uh, uh, a lot of Xbox and uh, cell phones. So, you know, a lot of our reading was actually done with uh, paperbacks and uh, with books. And I used to love hockey digest and all the hockey magazines I could catch. And, you know, you'd read about Sam Pollock, you would read about uh, Scotty Bohm and, El Arbor and how they built teams, and I still remember to this day, you know, a photo of El Arbor making a depth chart at uh, an Islanders uh, training camp, and I'm thinking, wow, that's a great idea. Like, you know, how are we going to evaluate players on a daily basis? Well, we're going to move them up and down in this depth chart, and you know, all those things played such an important part for me. So, uh, so those are the authors I like, um, you know, and I like to read about their experiences, and then you, there again, you find overlap, you find tie-ins. Uh, You find how they dealt with adversity. You know, there's a great, uh, uh, a great piece in the uh, Belichick book where, you know, he talks about getting smoked and then, you know, going to to the other coach and saying, you know, I thought you ran the score up today and the coach replying, I'm responsible for my team, not your team. And then you realize like get over it. And that's, that's how sports works. So uh, um, you know, dream job by Richard Petty with Maple Leaf sports and entertainment. It just, you know re- reaffirmed a lot of the things that i felt was happening uh with the organization and how one of the keys with richard petty was he knew people's first names whether they were uh, cleaning out uh you know the arena sweeping it out or whether they were a high level executive he knew people's first names he would talk to them ask how families were and everything else and i think that's so important and that's part of you know my makeup going back to, you know to my grandfather that was from ireland and just talk to people on the street be friendly and say hi and, and talk to people and be nice to people and uh, and really care about them and find out what they're about so all those things make up for success so i think anybody that has success when you look back it just didn't happen and i don't know if you can can, can cultivate it uh but certainly uh, understand your strengths and put them to use. so uh, that's where i go and i still do a lot of reading today really enjoy it so
0: Yeah, so many avenues for learning and books and and interpersonal conversation uh, go hand in hand. And a lot of times it is something, like you said, leadership and and the stuff about Belichick and and Vince Lombardi or football. So um, different things that can be tied into the game and ultimately uh, help develop you as a coach or a scout or or a manager in the the game of hockey. Uh, Tying into those interpersonal conversations and just talking with people in the rinks uh, day in and day out. A lot of times to be successful in the industry, you have to have people vouch for you. And you talked about that early on in your story. And some of these people to you, maybe you consider mentors. So just talk about some of those people who have helped you thus far in your career. And what are some of the major lessons that they taught you uh, collectively and maybe, um, you know, each of them bringing something different to the table.
1: Well, most people will start with their parents and I'm no different. And my parents, uh, uh, very humble people, you know, successful in business, but, uh, never arrogant or never show-offs, and, uh, and very community-orientated, like giving a lot of money back to the community and through sponsorship and through time. And uh, so that's where I think you learned that uh, be grateful for any success you have, but share it. And uh, any time that you improve your community, you're improving your life. So uh, that was the start. Then in hockey, uh, you know, as I say, Nestor Chomik referred me to uh, Prince Albert. Terry Simpson, Dale Engel gave me the opportunity to grow into the job, take on bigger responsibilities. Uh, Wayne Simpson vouched for me for the Edmonton job, which, you know, became a full-time career at that point, where I could leave the family business and just concentrate on hockey. Uh, the Schnout family, Ed, Jeff, Dean, Linda, uh, all have been very supportive and gave me the opportunity, helped me to grow. And, you know, I remember telling Ed that, when Bob Torrey was moving over to Tri-Cities to become GM and part owner, um, you know, we had to replace the GM with Kootenai and Ed offered me the job. And I said, Ed, it's a family business. Like, give it to Jeff, don't you think? And he goes, well, I said, you know, I'll make this promise to you. I won't let him fail, you know, as an assistant GM. And uh, and that meant a lot. And then winning a Memorial Cup with Kootenai after that. That meant even more, and you know, Ed I think passed way too early at 66 years old. And but just the joy in his face of hoisting a memorial cup, something that he had handed over to so many people for so many years, as president of the CHL, uh, that was very important. Dave Morrison in Toronto, my uh, my boss is director of scouting, um, uh, Brian Burke, Dave Poulin, Claude Loisel, uh, the people I worked with, Pierre Rieu Mike Palmatier, Garth Malarchuk all very important. And, uh, and I'll go back to my probably my favorite minor hockey coach, Lloyd Degan. And you know there again, I was just a community hockey player, but Lloyd actually took the time to uh, at that time I was playing goal and he, he made this big sketch for me, like three, four pages of angles, how to play it and everything else. and nobody took the time. I mean a lot of times it was volunteer father coaches so they didn't know the game or didn't have time. And uh, he took the time, and I mean, he was just a normal working dad as well, but he took the time, really taught me the position, and I learned so much from him. And more importantly, and the most important part, and this goes back to the bottom line of everything we talk about in sports, he made it fun. Loved to come to the rink to play for Lloyd, and uh, that made it a lifelong pursuit, uh, something that, you know, I've always said, uh, I just got to fool people for a few more years and I won't have to grow up and get a real job. So uh, I've been blessed. I'm very happy. And then that family support, uh, it's, uh, not necessarily mentorship, but, uh, my wife has been outstanding for all the years. And, you know, here's another thing I pass on to young men and women that are going to get involved in pro sports and different positions and, uh, growing up with four sisters, you know, for me, the door's open for women. I, I, I encourage it. I think it's possible, but, you know, earn it and, and be ready for it. But my wife has given me the support and my kids have given me the support, um, allow me to go out and do these things travel spend a lot of time away from home but you know we're fairly happy our daughter's a family physician now our son's a policeman here in Edmonton so you know we think we've raised two great kids and uh, uh, despite all the travel and time away and everything else we've also spent a lot of quality time together and there again we think we've got two pretty neat kids and uh, now I have a grandson as well so my life's been pretty good it's been pretty blessed and there's been ups and downs and, uh, you know, my advice to young guys don't and young women, don't, don't let the downs get to you. Learn from them, move forward and uh, don't give up on your dream, but also be prepared to uh, put in the time and don't expect uh, instant success. And that's probably the biggest change in society is that, you know, I call it the 30 second soundbite uh, when we watch sports and so on. Don't expect that instant uh, recognition or gratification. Put the time in and really earn it and it's worth that much more.
0: Yeah, I think you really did a great job in, in tying in the fact that all the people that took to to help you in your career and then your family, obviously playing a, a big part in, in being supportive and you were able to raise your kids and then tying in with some final uh, piece of advice there that I think will uh, stick with a lot of people listening. So Roy, I think that was a tremendous way to finish off the interview. Uh, I just want to thank you once again for taking some time today to join me. I know we're on different sides of the country, but Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and I wish you all the best moving forward.
1: Well, thanks so much, Ryan. It's been my pleasure and uh, anytime I can help out or if, you know, young people want to get a hold of me, they can do so through through the Tri-Cities Hockey Club and, uh, uh, you know, I want to help people. I want to pay it forward and uh, uh, there again, don't get into the industry, any sports industry thinking it's easy. Uh, it sometimes can look glamorous and a lot of fun, but there is a lot of work behind. There's, there's a lot of nights when you're second guessing and doubting yourself and those can be tough, struggling nights and stressful, but, uh, as you move forward, do a good job, be comfortable and uh, be a good person. And we always say good things happen to good
0: people. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. So thank you again and, and all the best moving forward. Thank you, Ryan. You have a good night. All right. You too. Take care. I'd like to thank Roy for joining the podcast and engaging in a discussion on his career in hockey operations. It's always exciting to hear the story of a successful scout, so for giving us a glimpse into that area of the game specifically, I'd like to once again thank him. If you would like to get in touch with Roy to learn about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact Podcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Tim Turk, an HL skills coach. Focusing on the area of shooting mechanics, Tim gives a lot of great insight on that area, which I definitely learned a lot from, so I encourage other coaches and listeners to tune in to that release on Sunday. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the podcast, and thank you for your continued support and interaction across all of our social media platforms. I have enjoyed each and every interaction, and hope to have many more as we move forward with the podcast. As always, stay safe and all the best.